I prayed that the Holy Spirit would lead me to you today. This is not an accident. This is an ordained thing where God sent me to you and I'm here to listen, bro. You know, like, and I've learned as a pastor to listen rather than talk. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening. And thanks for listening, my friends. And on behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. On this show, we're hearing stories of how Jesus became more than a belief to people and how it's changed their lives. My guest today originally hails from Kingston, Ontario, and was a pastor for 30 years. He's now an urban missionary, and he's running a ministry called Street Level Advocacy. Let's welcome Scott Cooper. Good morning, Todd. Hey, buddy. This is awesome. I never thought I'd make it on the podcast. (laughs) This is big time. Oh, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. I'm a big fan. I listen. You know what? I know you do because you showed up at the door with a coffee. Yeah. So you're you're on the list. That's it. Of the number one guests. (laughs) Well, I knew from listening that it was a short list, and I even knew you took a double-double from... You know, listening. So you really are like, this is a genuine listener. I I really appreciate you. I appreciated you before, man, but I I appreciate you even more now. It's great. Great (laughs) to be here. You're on the list with Anne-Marie Micah and Jen Klusterman, if anyone's keeping track. Yeah. Fun fact. Toddcast fun fact. (laughs) So yeah, having a good day, buddy? Yeah. It's too bad the weather's, uh, I was hoping you'd roll in on your bike. Yeah. Well, yesterday I was on the bike, but today with the rain and you're gravel road up to the studios here even got my truck dirty but yeah well it's because it's the secret studio so we just yeah. right it's not easy to find yeah it's like the bat cave type thing yeah a little bit yeah. a little bit like the bat cave yeah. don't get the address till the day of <laughs> encrypted right <laughs> <laughs> yeah friends i was hoping uh well you'll see the pictures on the social media because we're on uh instagram the toddcast underscore dac and I was really hoping you'd roll in on your bike because mm. I was going to do a little social media, a little clip, mm. right? Because when a guy like you rolls in on a bike, somebody doesn't know if they're going to get a bone broken or their heart broken by Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's <right. laughs> So it's good. <laughs> so anyways, man, let's, uh, let's begin. Scott, can you, how did you grow up, buddy, in Kingston? What was that like for you, brothers and sisters? And were you? family Christian yes. or what was that like? So two siblings, an older brother and a, and a younger brother. I'm a middle child. Um, my dad worked for TransCanada Pipeline, so we moved around quite a bit. I was born in Kingston, but we relocated, I think, by the time I was five to Mississauga. And then we just kept moving further up Highway 11. So Thornhill for five years, Richmond Hill for five years, Aurora for 10 years. And I graduated high school in Aurora. Um, my parents were both United church people. And so they went, we went to church every week. They were very involved in their church. They led youth groups. They, um, attended regularly and, and brought their boys to church. But my dad would say we were churchians. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't know Jesus. Uh, so we were, I grew up in a religious home and we, we, uh, God fearing home. And my parents, um, 
tried to do their best to teach us about Jesus and, and God, but they didn't have a full understanding themselves. Didn't know that until when we moved to Thornhill, Ontario. We moved in beside a couple that actually were the founders of Camp Madiba up in West Guilford. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stu and Jackie Wilson. And uh, so we're this little family, uh, three boys um, renting this house, and next door they have, I think, they had four kids and they were all teenagers and my parents are raising these young kids. I think I was probably four when we moved in or whatever. Um, and they, my parents were fascinated. I heard this after, but with the teenagers that were next door. So Stu and Jackie's teenage kids that, um, you know, they were, they were good looking, normal kids, but they were really polite. They would engage in conversation and they, they would tease back and forth, you know, and with my parents and my parents, I guess, kind of said to each other, man, what's the secret? Why are these kids, uh, you know, so different? And, um, it was a, a while we found out that they were pastors that didn't, and that was fine with my parents. Yeah, okay, that you know we're all Christians. But uh, at one point, Stu and Jackie invited my oldest brother to go to camp for free, and he was like ten at the time. So, and we'd never done any camp stuff. We didn't know anything about Christian camps, and uh, so Mike, my older brother, went away. He got saved that summer at ten years old. Came back so different. Again, I didn't hear about this till later. My mom said it made me sad my my oldest boy comes back and he's changed like something's happened to this kid and she said i couldn't help him in it i couldn't like he's he's talking differently he's talking about jesus like he knows him and and she said i was just it was like it grieved me inside that i didn't know how to help my son further this and I guess, you know, so not that it happened to him without her, the fact that she couldn't further it. Yeah. That there was something going on in this kid that she didn't, she didn't have and she saw it. Wow. And, uh, and so the, the curiosity with the neighbors and then their son being radically changed at 10 years old, couldn't really put their, their finger on it. I guess then the next year, Stu invited us to go back and said, why don't you, we had a little camper trailer. We were a camping family and why don't you bring your camper up and stay for a week? So we did that. And I, I think I remember working as on maintenance or whatever at 10 and 11. My brother was just a couple of years older and, uh, my parents kind of spied out. <laughs> they were, they kind of watched everything that happened and realized. Were they watching that you were 10 years old doing doing that labor it wasn't that child labor <laughs> <laughs> i don't think i did a lot of labor but anyway yeah i think i trimmed some grass or something like that and but um they they were fascinated with us and then anyway through a series of events and other friends and um and i remember i remember um a, a day at the united church we we were faithful attenders where the pastor spoke on the book of John or uh, revelation and she, um, she didn't understand the text, but she had to preach out of this text. And she was preaching about the blood of Jesus making people clean. 
And out of her frustration, just was sharing that anybody's tried to get blood out of a, a garment, especially white, you'd know it, it never comes out. Like, so this idea of blood making garments clean as, and white as snow, just shoot. The, the pastor was just so frustrated and, and blown away by this text that she kind of preached out of her frustration. And I remember my mom and dad, my mom weeping and we never went back. And uh, they didn't know what was up. They just knew that wasn't right. So uh, through other friends and I guess this journey of exploring, uh, finding out more, we, uh, they got they gave their hearts to Jesus. I was about, I went off to that camp at 12 as a camper, gave my heart to Jesus at 12, understood the gospel. And, um, like you felt like you understood it at 12, yeah, at yeah. 12. Yeah. At, uh, you know, I remember giving my heart to Jesus at one of the campfire nights, you know, at a presentation where the young guy spoke the gospel and, and sent the invitation out and I accepted. And, and then I remember just having an incredible appetite for the word of God. I just, at 12 years old, started reading my Bible, you know, and, and so my family all kind of got saved within a couple of years, like, and we all, and then we ended up going to Stu and Jackie's church, which was all the way down in Toronto. It was a little Bedford Park uh, Bible chapel, and I got baptized there at, I think, 13 or 14. So we went from United Church to Brethren Church, and then my, uh, we got a couple of speeding tickets from Aurora <laughs> to uh, Toronto, a couple of weeks in a row, I think the same cop nailed my dad. <laughs> we were late all the time. <laughs> so, so they decided we're going to find a church closer to home. And my little Scottish grandma had moved to Newmarket and was attending a Pentecostal church there. No, I didn't even know what a Pentecostal church was or what the difference was. And we went, um, I think by that time I was 14 or 15 and just loved it. It was alive and it was young pastor, incredible preaching and lively music and the raising of hands and speaking in tongues freaked me out a little bit. Um, but, uh, I kind of worked through that with the scriptures. Like my brother had done some reading and he, he showed me in the Bible where it says, I will lift my hands to the Lord and stuff. So, so once I saw it in the scripture, it was okay. You know, I just want to jump in on two things there. One mm -hmm. is on that, the raising of hands and <clears throat> of, of how we look at that as people or some people, they throw the word charismatic at it, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting to me that, because it would have made me uncomfortable back in the day too, mm -hmm. that we're uncomfortable with that. But And so for people listening from different parts of the world, we're really close to Toronto. Mm -hmm. And this is a hockey country. And in Toronto, they have the Toronto Maple Leafs, yeah. where you will find fourteen to 15,000 people with their hands in the air, screaming for people putting a puck in a net. Yeah, that's right. We don't think anything of it. <laughs> you don't think anything of it. Yeah. So that, that was one thing I just wanted to point well, out. But as a teenager, I'm a little skeptical and I'm looking around going, like, these people want to be seen, like, it. it to me, it looked like showmanship. Like, look at me. I got my hands in the air. Now, I would have felt like that as an adult. Looking back at it, I realized nobody cared. They weren't doing it to be seen. They were doing it to worship, but I didn't understand it at the time. And then I remember 
yeah, we were discussing around the table one one day about are we going to stay at Grandma's church or are we going to look for other churches? And my brother, you know, it said he read it in the Psalms. I will lift my hands to the Lord. And I remember thinking, okay, well, that's cool, <laughs> you know. And then once I started doing it myself, like then I realized, wow, this is kind of liberating. Like it's, I have trouble worshiping without <laughs> lifting my hands now in a in a service. So it, it's, uh, but when I it was seeing it in the scripture that helped me go, okay, this is cool. So when you, when you were 12 and, and in between this time from 12 to when you got baptized and yeah. to where you're, you're at now, um, and you said you, you accepted Christ, like it, it's more than just, oh, you decided to belong to this thing, mm-hmm. right? There was something, there was something that, that, that made it real for you, for you. Yeah, I I knew I had a personal relationship with Jesus, and it saved me from a lot of grief. Like, I didn't go through, so I've never been drunk. <laughs> I've never smoked a joint. I, I mean, it, it wasn't about religion necessarily. It was just like, no, nah, I don't need to do that stuff, and this wouldn't please Jesus. So I avoided a lot of stuff, a lot of grief that other people go through just naturally in their teen years because I got saved at 12 and kind of made it personal. Like just, no, this is, uh, this is the way I need to go. And so there's a lot of, I didn't go to a lot of parties. I kind of was a, I wasn't a loner at school, but I didn't do all the extracurricular stuff, you know, the weekend parties and stuff that everybody else did. Well, and that's the difference, right, between religion, which is where you're being told not to do something Mm -hmm. or that you shouldn't. This isn't the way. Mm -hmm. And actually the reality of Jesus in you, the hope of glory and the fact that you just didn't need it. Yeah, that was the thing. I just thought it's a kind of waste of time. I didn't I didn't need it. Yeah. I had lots of fun without it, really. So, yeah. So, okay. So then, uh, as you grew up in your teenage years and stuff, did you 30 years as a pastor? So, when did your, when did you desire to become a pastor or how did that? It's kind of funny. Like, I, I, I remember I was about 15. I would, I received the call, if you want to, but it wasn't, it wasn't anything spiritual. <laughs> like, it wasn't like, oh, you know, like it was, uh, <laughs> I, I remember, uh, we would have the Bible college come and, you know, they'd, they'd have a bunch of young people sing and preach and do different things. And we, it was a big missions church and it was a vibrant, healthy church. And so I was fascinated with it. And I thought, I, I just want to give my whole life to God. I, uh, the call came watching, I think, young people. Remember, this was the day in the mid eighties when everybody, uh, there was a special in every <laughs> in every church service. So you'd have a worship package and then somebody would sing a special, they called it, you know, like it was to tape or whatever. And I remember watching some of the young people do that. And I was never a singer. I knew I, I would never do that kind of thing. But I, I thought, I, I want to do that. I want to do more. Like I want to be a part of the church. And I, I was doing a lot of woodworking in school and I had this crazy idea that I was, that God was calling me to Africa, maybe to build a church. But when I say build a church, I don't mean preach. <laughs> I, meant, I felt like I was going to go and physically build a building, you know, and pastor it or whatever. But I had a really immature idea what that was all about. 
But um, from 15 on, I was headed for Bible college. I just knew I needed to go. I did tractor trailer driving. Like by the time I was 18, I had my A license and I was driving for Coca-Cola. I was making more money at 18 than I did for the first 15 years of ministry (laughs) in churches. But um, I had, you know, I bought a Firebird and I was, you know, single and, and driving tractor trailer and all that, but not... I knew I wasn't staying. I knew I had to go to Bible college. So I went, um, I was probably about 20 by the time I went to college. Did work with a cabinet maker for a little while to learn the trade. Didn't make as much money there, but. Uh, really, eh? Yeah. <laughs> you made more money hauling for Coca-Cola than oh, as well, a cabinet maker. I was maker. just an apprentice. Oh, okay. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Kind of sanding and helping installs and stuff. But, um. Yeah, I did the tractor trailer thing. So I've had my, I still have my license. I drive a little bit on the side now for a water haulage company, a big tanker, just filling pools and stuff. For, yeah, you got to stop doing that because yeah. we've not been able to hang out because you're hauling <laughs> I know, water. I know, <laughs> I got to give up something. But um, <clears throat> no, I've always, and and didn't make a ton of money in ministry. So I always had the tractor trailer to fall back on. I'd, I'd drive on my Mondays for a company or whatever and so that my wife could stay home with, we had four kids and she was just an incredible mother. And so I didn't really want her to have to leave the home to, to go work. So I, I'd work a little bit on the side with tractor trailer and stuff. So it's been really handy to have. Um, I lost myself though. You just got me. I, uh, where am I going? Oh yeah. Just like, <laughs> so you I was just asking you about your heart leading into yeah. to pastor. So you went to Bible school and then. Yeah. Met my wife there. That was really cool. Um, so we, so I was, I did four years of bachelor of theology, got out, we got married right away and right into ministry. I actually thought that I, I'd read in the old Testament that the soldiers in the Israeli army who got married uh, actually got a year off just to kind of focus on their marriage and everything. And then they, I forget where I read that in the old Testament. I thought that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to graduate school. I'm going to just be married for a year. I'll go drive tractor trailer in Stouffville. I had a job there. I could have gone to go to a church, be a part, you know, of a healthy church and then look at getting into ministry. But the Lord had other plans and I got hired before I was even graduated. Wow. So did you get hired into a lead pastor role or how, oh, no. what does that look like? It was a youth pastor, assistant pastor. So, and that's how kind of how I got the job. I, what had happened is there was a, the pastors would come to the college and say, we want to interview people and you'd sign up to be interviewed. Like, to, well, I didn't bother signing up because I had no intention of going into ministry right away. And one guy uh, approached my fourth year theology got a teacher who I greatly admired. And I didn't even think the guy knew I existed. I sat in his classes, took notes and, you know, scraped by bees and stuff with, but, uh, anyway, he, that teacher came to me and said, I've got a friend in the ministry that asked me for the top four guys in fourth year class, like, or four individuals that I felt were the most promising. And I gave him your name. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was just blown away. I didn't think anybody really, I was just doing my thing, you know? And so I went out of respect for that teacher, fully knowing. I knew the other guys. They were my buddies, and they could play guitar and sing, and 
they were charismatic and, you know, already preaching at youth groups and I was pretty quiet and just knowing I wasn't going into ministry. And so I interviewed with this guy out of, out of, uh, just respect for that teacher that had given my name and, but knew I paled in comparison to the other guys. And when he said, what are you looking for in a church or in, you know, I said, well, not really looking for anything, but I said, if, if I, if I was to go into a church situation, I'd be looking to be mentored. I just, I know that I don't know much and I'd be looking for a man that would mentor me. Well, apparently this guy had had another fellow that had pulled an Absalom on him and tried to take the church over and <laughs> carried. So my answer was the one that worked for him. He went, yeah, I want that guy. So I was hired before I even graduated, which was ironic because, again, my plans were... So I kind of say I was dragged in ministry one one <laughs> bit at a time because I, I never... I just wanted to be obedient to the Lord, but I, I didn't have plans. I've always been a... I'm an introvert by nature. So... Really? Yeah. Are you sure? I think so. Not in your current role. No, no. Well, I mean, I've, uh, the Lord stretched me over 30 years of ministry, right? Like I've learned to engage people, but naturally I'm an introvert. And so, um, I love people and I can relate to people one at a time. But, um, you know, I remember making a deal with the Lord in a chapel service in one of my last services in in school you know there's at that point there was 500 people at the college and i remember thinking lord okay i'll be a preacher i'll stand in front of people and talk but don't ever ask me to sing (laughs) give me a wife that will sing or whatever i remember like making this deal with the lord or whatever it was kind of funny because i ended up going into youth ministry and having to pick up a guitar and lead worship in so it's just i I always, uh, always told the Lord what I wouldn't do <laughs> and I'd end up doing it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, cause like a true father, right? You'll, you'll do what I tell you yeah, to do. Yeah. I have a plan. It's kind of humorous, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I guess that's how it would work. You'd, you'd come out of uh, Bible school and go into some kind of an apprentice role, whether yeah. it's youth pastor or assistant pastor, right. And be. Yeah, I was a youth pastor for seven years, and then I went and did kind of an associate role in a bigger church. You know, where was where did all this go down? Oh, so I was started in Milton, moved to Stratford. Milton was only a year and a half because the lead guy left after that, and he was going to take me with him. But the next when he went to the next church, they already had a guy, and he didn't want to fire him. And it's like, yeah, fine. So we went to Stratford, and were there for six years as youth assistant. Uh, like, so you played the assistant role preach sometimes, lead worship, run the youth group. Then from there to Highway Church in Barrie, which was a bigger church at the time, 500. And the guy wanted me to come and do more (coughs) associate role. You know, there was a youth pastor. And by this time, I'm late 30s. And then uh, that guy left to to go into the executive, uh, district executive. And so um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I ended up going to the Ottawa Valley, that was 2000 to be to, for my first senior pastorate. Oh, so you're really all over. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, Stratford, Barry, Ottawa Valley, Cobden was the little village, uh, and six years there. And wow. then all the way to the West coast to Goderich for a couple of years. 
Wow. In Kitchener for a couple of years and then up to Northview in Peterborough where we were for 10 years there as the pastors for the last 10 years. Yeah. So that's a lot of traveling. So for some context, (laughs) for those that aren't familiar with the area, that's from Southwestern Ontario, all the way to the very eastern part of Ontario, the yeah. Quebec border, berries around Lake Simcoe. We call mm-hmm. it north, but it's not really north not if anymore. you're from the yeah. north, yeah. right? And to Peterborough. So you're pastoring there. So you pastored, lead pastor at Peterborough in a church in Peterborough for a lot of years. And then, so what What brought you out of there? Because now you're an urban missionary Mm -hmm. so what was what was so obviously you pastored lead pastor there and had all kinds of experiences but what started going on in your heart to have you give that up because you would think that would be something and you would retire out of that right you would sort of lead that you'd bring up new Mm -hmm. pastors and stuff so what was going on in your heart that brought you out of that yeah so there's two or three things and i'll try and summarize them more succinctly uh, one thing, when we got to Northview, this this church had had its heyday in the mid-80s, like many of our other churches in the movement. Um, it was, you know, 600 people on a Sunday morning, and they were in the overflows. You know, they'd have, to, they'd have the accordion doors, and people were sitting in the overflows at the back of the sanctuary. And when I was in Bible college, I went to that school. They'd bring a bus over, and I went to that uh, church, and it was just, Boston at the seams. It was a new building and it was, there was a lot of excitement. There was all kinds of people on staff, but by the time we got there in 2010, um, what landscape had changed in, in our Pentecostal assemblies. Anyways, people didn't go to church. We used to go to Sunday school, morning church, evening church, Wednesday night Bible study. It was just, you lived at church in the eighties. It seemed uh, and all that had kind of slowed down. People were just kind of attending Sunday mornings. This church had been through its ups and downs. And when we got there, they were on the verge of closing the doors, even though the building's huge. Um, they were 50 some odd senior people in the, in the building. And that was about it. And that's what you walked into. And that's what we walked into. We were the young folks that were going to, they were going to take a gamble on. They initially said, that they could only afford like a part-time pastor. So my wife, the kids are older by now and going to high school and stuff. So, so my wife, we had no staff, no help, no, um, we'd just been handed a roll of keys and didn't even know which key opened what, what door there was nobody. And so Wendy, uh, my wife sat at the, uh, front uh, desk every day and took reception and we learned together, you know, how to kind of run this, this church. And wow. So you're started, really trusting in the Lord. Yeah. Well, and we really felt called. It was actually kind of exciting. It was like a church plant, but you didn't need to find a building. We had this beautiful, big building and, uh, you know, a gymnasium in it and 26 acres of grass and, you know, around it. And it was a daycare that functioned out of it, a very successful daycare. And so, we just really felt strongly that God had called us to come and rebuild the kingdom there, you know? And so anyway, within 10 years, fast forward 10 years, and we had a multi-staff situation. My wife's a pastor, you know, full time with me. We had, um, six on staff part-time and 
the church was kind of bouncing off that 200 mark. And, and it's funny cause we, I'd said to her when we got there, this is going to be a 10 year project. <clears throat> and so as the 10 year came to a close, it wasn't like that's all we were prepared to give, but there was this sense in my heart from the Holy spirit that we had kind of completed the task that we've been given. Plus I'm now in my fifties and going, you know what? I think I'm a small church pastor. I don't think I can take this past the 200 mark because, because I believe that pastoring for me, pastoring is shepherding, walking alongside people, being part of the family, walking with people through ups and downs. And I, I did all the funerals. I did all the weddings. I did all the counseling and it was getting busier and, I had an assistant pastor, but he was doing all the worship. He was doing youth. He was doing young adults. So I couldn't look at him and go, Hey buddy, you know, there's a funeral coming up this week. I need you to take it for me. Cause I got to preach Sunday and I got to go do hospital visitation stuff. So it was getting busier. And, um, and I just thought, you know what? I, I don't really want to hand these things off to somebody else. Like I want to be the guy going to the hospital to visit people in their, trials and stuff. That's just what I saw pastoring. So I realized I'm a small church pastor. This place has grown beyond my gifts. And I, there's no shame in that. There's just, I'm kind of realizing who I am. And we both realized that the church was healthy and strong. We loved the church. We loved the people. It was family to us, but we were feeling like we need to hand this over so that somebody else can take it and grow it even bigger. Mm. And, uh, simultaneously then I'd had this experience with picking up a, a young man on the side of the road one December day in a snowstorm. And he was, he was kicking a disabled e-bike along. He was like a child on a, on a little kick toy, you know, and he's going uphill towards Ennismore in a snowstorm head on. And I thought, uh, so I, uh, the story, I've told this story several times, but it, as I drove by him in my warm Tacoma, I'm thinking, I said out loud, I would not want to be that guy today. And as soon as it was out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit says, so what are you going to do about it? <laughs> so I had to turn around in Gilmore Church, like like uh, their parking lot, and go back to the guy. And then ended up putting his bike on the back of the truck and taking him up to his storage unit where he was going. And that began a relationship with this young man who turned out to be living in the Brock Mission, had grown up really, really rough, um, really didn't have any parents to speak of, um, got into trouble with the lie, became a surety. I learned all about the court system and uh, spent lots of time, uh, even visited him in prison, and then ended up being a surety while he was under house arrest and putting a team of men around him so that he, so somebody different would visit him every day and we could get him out of the <clears throat> apartment. And, uh, there was a catalyst moment when he, after about a uh, couple of weeks, I'd take him out for breakfast and stuff when, in he was expressing that he was scared that he was going to get beat up at the, at the Brock mission at the shelter he was staying at. And that somebody was spreading misinformation about him and they were, and they were going to beat him up. And so he said, I, I could afford an apartment on my government pension and everything, but when I call, nobody takes me seriously. Mm. So he shows me on his phone uh, a little apartment on Facebook. So I said, well, call him up. Give me the phone. 
So he calls up the landlord and I take the phone and I say to the landlord, I'm a local pastor. I'm with this young guy and I would vouch for him. He doesn't do drugs. He doesn't drink, which was crazy for a street kid, but it was true. Uh, And so we ended up going right from breakfast to go see this apartment. He got it and he was, he loved it. And it really helped me realize that for a lot of these people that didn't grow up with all the privileges I had, I mean, I grew up knowing about Jesus. I grew up with parents that are still together. My parents are in their 80s and still together. My wife's parents were together into their 80s. Um, We grew up in a home of faith. I grew up really in privilege, like, like we weren't rich, but we never lacked. And this this young man, you know, his dad was in and out of prison. His mom uh, was a troubled lady with drug addictions, and he ended up fending for himself. And and um, I just kind of realized, you know what? There's all kinds of people that just need someone to speak up for them. And I've been I kind of have this habit of reading the Proverbs every day because there's one for every day, 31 chapters. And so I'd read a chapter every day and it reminded me of Proverbs 31 uh, verse eight and nine. And I, it says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute, speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so that just kind of, that was in 2000 and, 18 and it just stuck with me and as as we've watched in peterborough the population of street affiliated folks grow like you can't grow you can't drive downtown peterborough without seeing folks all over that you know are homeless and struggling and and uh, it was the topic of conversation at a lot of prayer meetings that I go to with different pastors and stuff like what is going on and what could we ever do? And all I knew is I had to get involved there somehow. I had to do something that God was calling me to be an advocate. So that's where this name street level advocacy came right out of that proverb and that experience with this young man in 2018. So 2020 we, um, we resigned and, I remember preaching to the congregation that it was because now we'd been through COVID. Um, and uh, I said, this is crazy. Uh, you know, it, it in a storm, in a worldwide storm like COVID, the safest place seems to be instinctively in the boat. <laughs> but, and I use that passage of Jesus calling Peter to walk on the water. But... Um, I am hearing the call to step out onto the waves. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and so even though I love this boat and it's comfortable and I love my, my shipmates here, you know, and, and this, and the safest place would be to hunker down. I'm hearing the call to step out on the waves because Jesus is calling us to go and do this. Yeah. And so we, um, and I said to them, like I said, I know that there will be days when I wake up and I'm going to be looking at the waves more than I'm looking at Jesus. I'm going to say, what in the world did I do? You ever get out of the boat? Like, why did I do this? So, I, uh, But I also know that if I don't, I can't, I, 
I just, I just can't keep going. Like I won't be any good to you here because I believe God's called me out there. Not in here. I, I describe it like for 30 years, I pastored in the, in the beautiful, I shepherded in the beautiful pastures of the domesticated kingdom, you know? So you pick a, these little white, you know, rail fences and beautiful green pastures and white fuzzy sheep. And uh, I loved it there. But it was like one day the Lord, the Holy Spirit opens the gate and says, I want you to go out and find the wild sheep on yeah. the hillside. And there's lots of them. And that's that's where I feel like I've just kind of, I'm still a shepherd. I'm still a pastor. I'm, I don't consider myself a wild evangelist like yourself or, or <laughs> Shepsky or some of these guys that I've watched operate. Like, I don't think I operate in the gift of evangelism. I still am operating in the gift of a pastor. But I have a congregation of wild sheep that I know by name. I see them every day. You know, my ministry is bringing, I've also discovered like Proverbs eighteen sixteen says that a gift goes before the giver and opens the way for him to meet the great. And I have discovered, and the Holy Spirit led me into this. I didn't do this on purpose, but I've never gone out with my hands empty. I have full hands every time I go. I've, the Starbucks in, in, uh, on Shemong Road have, um, they give me their sandwiches, their day old sandwiches every day. Every morning I go, I start there, I pick up these sandwiches and then I buy cases of water and people give me socks and shirts and different churches are doing drives for me and stuff. So I used to walk. Now I have to take my truck. I drop the tailgate and I've got clothes that they rifle through and everybody gets a sandwich and all the freezies and waters and, and it's opened up this relational uh, trust and passage for me that when they have a hard time, they'll take me aside. That was just two weeks ago. One of these, one of my friends met me at the tailgate and just said, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, sure. And he takes me to the front of the truck and he falls on my shoulder mm. weeping saying, I need help. I, you know, I'm, he was telling me he was going to take his life that day. And I just said, bro, like God sees you. God cares. Like it's, and it's through the power of, of giving gifts and, and being present and, and just building relationship with them that they know what I stand for. And then when something comes up, they're like just sponges and they're, and so I ended up taking this guy down to Oshawa to, the emergency department and sitting in the waiting room with, with him because he wanted to go to Pinewood to the rehab center. And he'd, uh, there's, you know, there's a whole story to that too, but I never, you know, in, in his tears, he's going, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? And I said, yeah, no problem. I'm gonna, and he said, can I pray? And before I, I said, yes. And he begins to pray. He's weeping on my shoulder and praying probably the most sincere prayer I've ever heard anybody pray about, God, I've messed up. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you come and will you help me? Oh. And like, I'm starting to weep just listening to this man pour out his heart. And, you know, his story, everybody out there, Todd, they've experienced trauma. They're all suffering from some form of PTSD. Nobody's out there because they're too lazy to get a job. And you know what? I used to think that. 
I was I was your typical conservative Christian that thought, well, if they just got off their tail and go get a job, you know, things would be better. Everybody I speak to have had they've had a traumatic past or abuse as a child or something something a house fire or a death of a mate or something and they just turn to drugs or they they lose everything and this poor guy i mean had been his dad was an alcoholic he'd been abused as a kid and he's struggling to not be his father he doesn't want to be an alcoholic but he struggles with alcohol and like to hear his story you know as we're driving down to oshawa which is about an hour drive they they have trauma they're not there by choice. I haven't met a single one who's there because they just don't feel like working. Yeah. You know, and, and then the enemy lies to them, right? Yeah. I don't have as obviously as many experiences as you, but there was a particular guy down there that I would talk to all the time when I went down there. And I, it was a year, actually, because I'm not, wasn't out there every day like yourself before he would open up to me. Really? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh, what broke my heart with him is he really felt like he deserved to be sitting on the curb. Yeah. And which is a total lie, but it's so, so true what you're saying. eh? Yeah. Um, I just want to kind of add here too, like the, the transition for me being a pastor in, in the church, in the domesticated fields to going out was a big step for me. And it was a fearful step. And what I, and uh, Disciple a City helped me, <laughs> like, I mean, here I've, I've been pastoring for 30 years, but when I had heard what Shapsky was doing and you guys meeting at the bridge and going out, when I finally stepped away from the church and I had time, because in the church you get so busy with like, like say wedding funerals and all that stuff. And then you're doing social things like leading you're, you're caring for the sheep and I had no time to do anything else. And so then I thought I'm going to go to one of those, uh, nights where they walk around town. And so I went to the prayer meeting and then, uh, went out for a walk and, and kind of watched how I call them these maniacs. They're kingdom <laughs> maniacs, <these laughs> disciple of city guys. Unbelievable. <laughs> And watch them engage. And then I, you know, and, and I did, I'm down on my knees talking to a young guy and, and, you know, went and bought him a coffee and shared with him and prayed with him. And then I went, this is awesome. Like, and I always say, like, I, I think it goes back to when I was a little kid, you know, I picture myself walking down the sidewalk, hold my mother's hand or, you know, and, and somebody walks by that's, uh, I don't know, not like me and you stare and, you know, I can just picture, don't stare, Scott, that's rude, you know? And so as an adult, I would walk down the street in, in Toronto or, or in Peterborough and just not look at people because I thought I was being respectful. But, you know, after that experience with Disciple City and everything and realizing like, these are the sheep that God is looking for. I began to keep my eyes up and lock eyes with people. And if they look down, fine. But if they look back at me and I nod and they nod, then I say hi and they say hi. And then I, I, I started stopping and saying, hey, I'm just going for a walk down to Tim Hortons. Would you join me? Can I buy you a coffee? <laughs> and that's how kind of I got into this one-on-one thing, asking the Holy Spirit to show me who he was looking for that day. 
and looking for the lost sheep yeah. and knowing that the father's heart is, is looking for these individuals. And then you get into conversation and they start opening up and they're apologizing and no, no, I, I prayed that the Holy spirit would lead me to you today. This is not an accident. This is an ordained thing where God sent me to you and I'm here to listen, bro. You know, like, and I've learned as a pastor to listen rather than talk. Yeah. Pastors are lousy listeners for the most part. I was for years, you know, and so doing a lot more listening, a lot more processing, slower to speak, quicker to listen. Yeah. It's very profound what you said too about people walking around, not looking at each other. How true is that? When we walk around, even in the grocery store, don't make eye contact. Mm -hmm. God sees all of us and we don't want to look at each other. Mm -hmm. But when you start looking with his eyes, you see, you see all that. It's changed the way I approach people. Like I'm talking to people while I'm pumping gas. And like I say, I am kind of an introvert, but, but God's given me eyes to see the people around me. And sometimes I just can't handle like the love that I, I can feel the father has for an individual or whatever. I'll never forget one guy that I met, uh, you know, he's sitting out, uh, had, had I guess wine in his Tim Hortons cup. I had no idea, but another one of the guys told me and he's just sitting there and, and there was a bunch of us around a picnic table by the mall and I just couldn't, I just couldn't, uh, not keep looking at him because I just felt like the Lord was, was just loving this guy, you know? And, and he was just a little bit older than me. And I, so I started asking him questions like, how long have you been on the street? And I think it was like 13 years or something. And, and he's, and he was really down and, and just kind of, well, he was just drowning his sorrows there. And I, and I finally just looked at him and looked deep in his eyes and said, bro, God sees you and you think your life is just about over. You think you're just treading water till it's, till your time's up. But I'm here to tell you that God has so much more for you and he has big plans for your life. And just, you know, his eyes start welling up with tears and, and it was like, like, I guess prophecy is building up, but I just felt like I was just pouring encouragement down this guy's throat. You know what I mean? Just listen, you have no idea how much God cares about you and what he wants to do with your life yet. And, uh, I see that guy still every day and he's in better shape than he was. But that's the other thing I've learned is you can't control, um, people's growth, you know, see, like you want to see things change and you want to see spiritual growth and you want to see discipleship happen overnight. But I'm learning to kind of let the Holy spirit take the lead on that and just, just be more patient and just love people where they're at and walk with them. Yeah. And I'm learning. I mean, I've only been doing this since the beginning of the year full time. So I am still on a huge learning curve, but I'm loving being there. I, I'm loving my church of wild sheep. <laughs> my congregation of scraggly sheep, man. It's awesome. Yeah. What What did you say? Um, um, missionary maniacs? What did you say? Yeah. To say, uh, king, kingdom maniacs. Kingdom yeah. maniacs. We They're, like to, the term gospel monsters. Yeah. Well, coined it's by the same Adam. thing. It's, uh, well, and the, there's, see, this is the other thing. I love being on the cusp of what, 
God seems to be doing in these last few years, like raising up like groups like Disciple City. And I'm, what I'm seeing is there's a, a lot of these people are first generation believers, been saved out of some crazy stuff. They're like, a lot of them are in their thirties and twenties and they're just entrepreneurial risk takers, everything on the line yeah. for, for the sake of the kingdom. And I haven't seen that for a long, long time. Like, I don't know if I've seen it in my lifetime, but it, there's something afoot. <laughs> and Amen. in Peterborough, God's bringing, and I've met all these incredible people just in the last couple of years, again, stepping away from all of the responsibilities that I had, getting to know folks in the kingdom in Peterborough. And I'm like, honestly, I just feel privileged to be a part of the frontline craziness that's going on downtown Peterborough and like, you know, the bridge and disciple of city. And it, it just, there's, there's uh, an awakening amongst believers of the state of our, of our city and, and how much people need Jesus and, and people walking around praying for healing and, and, uh, encountering, you know, having spiritual encounters on the streets of Peterborough. It's so cool. Yeah. And I'm just, I just can't believe that I get to be a part of that and get to meet all these people and, and partner with them. So, yeah, it's really good. I, it warms my heart that you let God stretch you, yeah, stretch you out of there and doing what you're doing with street level advocacy. Um, you know, and for those listening, Scott is so well connected with different people that when the people that you're encountering with, when their hearts really want to move forward and get out of where they are, you're connected with people to help mm. get them employed, help get them uh, their own place to stay and and stuff in addition to, you know, bringing, mm. you know, clothes and sandwiches and the different things that yeah. you have. Right. And, and it's so important. Like, it's great when we as Christians or groups of churches sort of take a time and go out and do outreach and help them, which is good and needed, but it's so beneficial and, and awesome that you're there every day mm-hmm. making relationships with these, with these people, right. Mm-hmm. And helping them out. That's really yeah, warms my heart. It's crazy. The connections that God has given me with some of the social services and the Peter Rowe police department and, and some of the politicians, I just, you know, just texting with Michelle Ferrari today, you know, like our member of parliament in the Kortha and she wants to walk the street with me one time and hand out sandwiches. And I've met with politicians and, and as business owners. And I'm, cause I'm, I know that God wants me to be a voice for these people that like, we need some, we need some affordable housing, tiny homes or something. And, uh, I'm working on plans with that and I'm, and I'm setting up appointments and I may even have to kind of dip my toe in the political realm, which I really don't want to, but I feel like God is saying they need a voice. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, um, he's positioning me to, with these networks and all the relationships I made in the last 10 years, there's churches in Peterborough that are having me in to speak and, the network in the kingdom in Peterborough is so awesome. Like, like denominational barriers don't mean anything like they, they used to, it seems. Yeah. Let's crush those. Yeah. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I say to people like social services, they all want to know, well, who are you with? Who are you with? I, well, I'm just 
kind of doing this on my own, but really I'm a, I'm a gift from the local church in Peterborough. <laughs> yeah. Like You're I, with Jesus. I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, the, you know, like I had to go out and raise support as a missionary and stuff, but most of my support comes from, uh, the church of Jesus Christ, whether it's churches or individuals within the church. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with Jesus. I'm, I'm commissioned by him and I'm supported by the bride of Christ. And yeah. it's kind of cool that I can just say, uh, you know, I'm a gift from the local church. It doesn't cost the city or it doesn't cost the government anything. Yeah. And I, and I have the total freedom to do what I want when I want to get things done. That's good. Yeah. That's good. You're on Facebook, street level advocacy is on Facebook. You yeah. on Instagram too? just Facebook. Yeah. My daughter puts it on Instagram for me. I have no idea how to work that, but okay. So if there, you're, yeah. if you're curious to learn more and see this, it's street level advocacy on Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, the Toddcast underscore DAC on Instagram. I'm going to put the links for uh, street level advocacy on that as well. And Scott, thanks so much for taking the time and coming in and sharing with us today, your heart and everything that's been going on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. It's been awesome. But I have one more question. Okay. One more question tucked in there. What what would you say to to Christians or maybe people in church leadership? And it's important we, we all need to be in all these different positions, right? There needs yeah. to be pastors and people who are answering the call oh, in sure. church yeah. with the with the church goer, right? And pouring into them gospel monsters or kingdom maniacs, <laughs> kingdom maniacs and also people like yourself and, and everything in between yeah. there's all needed what would you say though to some christians that are stuck in a comfort zone and they're kind of know that they're being called to something else but they're yeah. kind of stuck in there how would you help them mobilize yeah so i mean i'm living this and learning this firsthand but but John ten ten like abundant life is living on the edge, like it's stepping out of the boat and and listening to Jesus as He calls you to do something different and throw the fear out and and just follow in obedience. But that's where the that's where the fun is. That's where the abundant life is. And at Freedom fifty five, you know, <laughs> I'm walking into this at fifty five years old. Um, I, I have seen God's provision. I've seen his hand. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's scary at times, but uh, don't let your fear stop you. And, and don't stay in the rut because time is short and Jesus wants us all mobilized, bro. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, look, man. You're covered in goosebumps right now. It's yeah, awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much, Scott. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, buddy. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I appreciate you too. You're you're the king maniac right there. Uh, I've been know. on the street with you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> you know how to give it. Oh, there's many. There's many. Yeah, there are. Cheers, bro. Yeah. Living on the edge for the Lord just going back to the beginning of of this interview with scott about inviting christ the invitation to christ is out there for all of us he's waiting for you if you've not given your life to christ 
will you invite him in? And once you've invited him in and feel his love and how important and valuable your life is, will you allow yourself to be stretched? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to stretch you and put you in the position that God wants to use you to reach others? Be stretched and serve him because there's no better place to be, my friends.